Welcome to the Forward Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Now let's get ready to dive into today's message. We know you'll be blessed. You have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn them to the book of 1 Corinthians. And while you are turning with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, let me set this message up. I started this series last Sunday. You know, when you follow God's prescription and formula for marriage, family, relationships, it just looks and it works better. It just always works better. God's ways are better than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, I started to give this sermon another subtitle today, uh, Love and Marriage. It's really what I'm preaching on today, like the, like the song goes, uh, Love and Marriage. They go together like a horse and carriage. I mean, that's just, that's how it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you will, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is something we do to honor the word of God. Um, I'm going to read verses 4 through 8. This is the famous wedding ceremony text. If you've been to a wedding before, you've probably heard this, this scripture read many of times. 1 Corinthians 13 is actually the, it's, it's called the love chapter in the Bible. Um, and I know I'm, I'm setting this up probably too much this morning, but as a matter of fact, a lot of scholars believe that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is one of the deepest theologically, is one of the deepest theological texts in the entire Bible because it outlines uh, really what true love is and godly love is. And there is nothing deeper. There is nothing higher. There is nothing wider than the love of God. You want a deep sermon today? Here it is. I'm preaching on love. Come on. So let's dive into this. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8. It says this. Love suffers long and it is kind. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Today I'm excited. I'm going to bring you part two of our series, Focus on the Family. Will you pray with me? God, I love you. And I praise you, God, for this opportunity that we have to dive into your word today. I just pray your anointing upon my lips. Let everything I say, everything I do, let it be ordained by you. Nothing more, nothing less. God, let these words pierce, God, the hearts of this congregation that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers, God. And God, I pray not a single one of us would leave here the same way we walked in. And I give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory for everything that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody shouted. Amen. High five two or three people and tell them, get ready. You know, when you allow God to work in your life, you have the capacity to do, to do a whole lot more than what you realize. You have the capacity to accomplish more, to do more, and to, to really go further than what you think you could ever go by yourself. Really quick, I want to lay a foundation. I want to give you a few biblical ways to ensure that you have a lasting marriage this morning. I'm laying a foundation. I'm going to get, I'm going somewhere this morning, but I'm going to give you really quick five ways. Number one, you got to make a covenant commitment. You got to make a covenant commitment. You know, that word commitment, it's an interesting word. Commitment means I have to commit to something or I'm making an, or I'm making a promise to do something that a lot of times I may not want to do. You don't really have to commit to something that you want to do. You don't really have to commit something that's, that's just 
fun and enjoyable all the time. I have to commit to the discipline of, of eating right. I have to commit to the discipline of, of working out and exercising. You know why? Because I don't enjoy it all the time. I'd rather stuff my face full of donuts and Pop-Tarts and sweets and candies and, and fried Oreos and all that good. Come on, because it tastes good. But I have to, com- I'm like, yes. But I have to make a commitment to eat right. I have to make a commitment to exercise. You know why? Because it's not fun all the time. I don't feel like it all the time. Number two, you got to celebrate the differences. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to break down some lies this morning. I've got to dispel the compatibility myth. Everybody going on eHarmony today. Everybody going on eHarmony today to figure out who they're compatible with. Now, if you're doing the online dating game this morning, I'm not trying to preach against that. But what I am saying is, is I'm just going to be honest with you. Me and Cassie, we, we polar opposite. We polar opposite. And you know what? The enemy would want to exploit those differences. But I come to tell somebody, you got to celebrate those differences. Opposites attract. Come on, somebody. I'm administrative, organized, OCD about, you know, time schedules. Cassie, she's just happy-go-lucky. What time is it? I don't even know what time it is. But opposites attract. This can either irritate you or you can appreciate it. I choose to appreciate it. Let me just pause and hit the timeout button right here. Many of you thought you were coming to hear a sermon that you could probably shout and stand on your, your, your hand and in your head with this morning. And you might be able to in a minute. But I'm going to tell you something. I've already gotten confirmation that this is what I need to preach on this morning because there's too many marriages that are going to, to that, that are being thrown in the trash, not just in the world, but in the church today. And look, you can either receive this with a, or you can let it go in one ear or out the other. But I've come to, to just dispel some lies of the enemy this morning and try to make some marriages work. Number three, work on communication. We work on communication in every other level, in the business level, in the corporate level, with my staff. One of the biggest things that I always try to work on with my staff is communication. Nine times out of ten, when we have an issue, which we never have issues with our staff. Nine times out of ten, when we have issues in our staff, you know what the reason is? It was a communication breakdown. Somebody didn't communicate. I didn't communicate. Uh, it, it, either, it didn't make it to where it was supposed to go. I see this happening in marriages more now than ever. But you know, you know what? Let me, let me say this. The average couple only spends four minutes a day in meaningful conversation. This is where so many couples, this is where the ball gets dropped. Communication. You know the four most romantic words a woman can hear? And then what happened? (laughs) Husbands, you come home from work. Your wife is telling you how their day went. The four most romantic words a woman can hear. And then what happened? (laughs) Tell me more, sweetheart. I heard a... 
I heard a study done. I'm, I'm laying the foundation. I'm fixing to preach in a minute, but I'm just having fun right now. I heard, I heard a study done where they put a group of guys in a blank room with no distractions for 15 minutes, and they did a study to see what, what they thought about or what they talked about. Well, they brought this group of guys out, and they asked them individually, what was on your mind in that room when you were by yourself with no distractions? There was two things on their mind. Both of them started with S. One of them was sports. You know what the other one is. They put a group of ladies in that same room for 15 minutes. No distractions. Nothing else to hinder them. And then they brought them out. They said, what was on your mind? What did y'all talk about? Every single one of them. Well, we just reviewed all the conversations that we've had with other people all week long. There was no... I'm going to tell you, women's minds and men's minds are not the same minds. And that just goes to show, can I just chase a rabbit here for a minute? That means you can't just have a surgery and call yourself a woman. You can't just have a surgery and call yourself a man. We're wired differently, even down to the way we are thinking, our minds, God created you a certain way. God, and listen to me, the world wants to try to, you know, put, put all of this, make it dirty. Make, you know, every, that's why I feel, let's just go ahead and say it this morning. That's why I feel bad even saying the word sex from the pulpit. Because the, the enemy has tried to pervert what God has ordained as a holy, intimate moment between a husband and a wife. And the world don't mind talking about it. So why can't the church talk about it? Number four, feed the romance. Feed the fire. If the fire goes out, it's not the fireplace's fault. Well, my marriage just ain't working. Well, are you working on your marriage? It's not your marriage's fault. If it's not working, just like it's not the fireplace's fault if the fire goes out. Because it takes somebody to tend the fire. You gotta clean out the ashes. You gotta put some new fresh wood on. You gotta, come on, you gotta fan that flame. You gotta have date night every once in a while, right? I just heard a Josh Turner song in my mind, but I'm not gonna sing it. Feed the fire. Number five, put Jesus at the center. See, you expect a preacher to say this, but it's true. You leave the Lord out of the process, and it will eventually fail. You leave God out of anything, it will eventually fail. It might not happen overnight, but eventually it will fall. You take God out of government, it eventually falls. It might happen over a time. You take God out of school, it goes Chaotic, it eventually fails. You take God out of marriage, it eventually fails. It eventually fails. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In order for relationships to work, you've got to let the one who designed them. How many of y'all have heard this statement now for three weeks? In order for relationships to work, you've got to let the one who designed them 
define them. And unless you let the one who designed it define it, then that means it's operating outside of the design of the one who intended it to operate the way it's supposed to. So let's talk about this main point today. I want to talk about the first point that I made. I'm going to talk about covenant relationships. I'm going to show you this through an Old Testament scripture. Then we're going to jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Remember, the Old Testament is all about external. Remember that. If you want to know, I said this last week, I think, or either on, on Wednesday night before. The Old Testament, if you want to know the difference between it and the New Testament, the Old Testament is external. Just really simple, if you want to, if you, this is an elementary explanation. Old Testament is external rules and laws. Laws written on tablets of stone. Laws that we are to follow. External rules and regulations. New Testament, God said, I'm going to write my law on the tablet or the stone of what? Your hearts. New Testament, internal. It's about an internal uh, transformation. Old Testament, external. So remember that. That shows us the, the Old Testament, the rules, the laws, they really show us how much we need God. Let's look at that. Keep that in mind as we read Malachi chapter 2. Last book of the Old Testament. We really get to see God's heart right here. Verses 13 through 16. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So this is, this is a people that is covering, they're, they're, they're weeping on the altar of the Lord. They're weeping on the, they're shedding their tears on the altar. They're crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore. Wow, so something, something's wrong right here. What's wrong? Nor receive it with good will from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? So we're about to figure out what the problem is and what the issue is right here. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. Somebody say, uh-oh. Time out. You want to know one of pastor's pet peeves? And if you've done this before, again, this is not to shame you. This is just one of pastor's pet peeves, Okay. When I hear husbands calling their wives old lady, I just smile and nod. I'm like, how disrespectful is that? This ain't my old lady. Y'all like that grammar? This is not. This ain't. This is my wife. And I know y'all don't know what I'm talking about right here, but I'll preach another. You might, you may not. This is my Ezer Connecto. This is my helpmate. This is the one who got, and, and so husbands, husbands, she ain't your old lady. She's your wife. Okay? I didn't get any amens from the ladies right there. You might be too scared right now. That's okay. Between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, that word treacherously can also be translated in some translations as unfaithful. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. There's that word covenant. But did not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal unfaithful or treacherously with the wife of his youth. 
For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously or unfaithfully. Now, this is a powerful scripture right here. Many of you are so uncomfortable and so uptight right now because it just had the word divorce in there and you're waiting to hear if I preach on divorce or not. I may or may not go there. Bottom line is this. If you've been divorced, there's forgiveness. If that's, if, if that's a part of your story, God, God can rewrite. God can restore. God makes all things new, okay? Bottom line is that. So, so don't, you can, you can exhale now, okay? This is a powerful scripture. We're, we're preaching on covenant relationships. This scripture shows us God's heart when it comes to covenant relationships and marriage. This type of commitment makes a difference, not only in our lives, but the Bible says in the lives of our offspring. Now hear me. The Bible said in Malachi, God is speaking right here, and he's saying, you desire godly offspring, but you're dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. Meaning God understands the importance that father and mother in regards to how they treat each other in their covenant relationship, how that goes down into the, 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 the second, the third, and the fourth generation. I've seen it, and I've seen it time again. I have done marriage counseling with couples, and one of the questions that I always ask them is, did their father or did, their, did they experience divorce in their family in some shape, form, or fashion? Because odds are, statistically speaking, that if the mother or the father or if their parents got divorced, odds are that they will wind up in divorce too because that's, that's their mindset when it comes to, well, if things don't start, if things don't go right, or if, or if he or she does me wrong, then guess what? I can just say, but God's heart says that he hates divorce because it leaves one clothed in anger, in bitterness. So God hates it for it covers one's garment with violence. And there's only one small problem in all of that that I'm preaching right here. What did I tell you to begin with? The Old Testament is based on what? External what? Rules. And it's hard to master sacrificial giving when everything is based on external rules. Sacrificial giving is what is exampled and what is modeled in every godly relationship. I just lost you. I thought we were preaching on covenant relationships. Now he's preaching on tithes and offerings. No. Sacrificial giving is at the heart of Christianity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish. But God, God sacrificially gave his son as a substitutionary sacrifice for me and you. At the heart behind every godly relationship and at the heart behind godly love is sacrificial giving. To lay one, there is no, the Bible says that there's no greater love than to lay one's life down for your friend. And there must be a heart change when it comes to the way we, we view relationships. Because if all we view relationships is, is about external rules, then we'll never become and we'll never be and it'll never look like the, the way God intended for it to look like because it's based on external things instead of a change of the heart, an internal transformation.
Marriage is not about rules. Marriage is about covenant. Marriage, listen to me, marriage is not about rules. Marriage is not about, well, the old ball and chain. That's the way the world looks at it. Some of y'all single people in here, y'all like, I ain't never getting married. Transition from Old Testament to New Testament. Jesus comes in, Luke 22, he establishes a new covenant. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish or do away with the law because the law reveals how sinful man is and how much man is in need of God. But Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law, meaning I've come to give you what you need to fulfill the requirements. Y'all missed that. Meaning you can't and I can't fulfill the requirements of the law by following all the rules because when it comes to following the rules, I and you fail miserably. The only way that we can fulfill the requirements of the law is through the sacrificial blood that was shed of Jesus Christ being applied to our life, being transformed from the inside out, having a change of heart. He said, I'll remove the heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh. One that can love me, follow me, worship me, serve me. And only then when that heart of stone is removed and that heart of flesh is transplanted into your life, can you truly love your spouse the way he or she deserves to be loved? Apart from it, you leave God out, it fails. It fails. See, it's all about a blood covenant. The best relationships possible are those that you consider blood relationships. How many of y'all have ever heard the expression, blood is thicker than water? Wave your hand at me. Y'all know what that means? That means if my friend does me wrong, go on somewhere. But if one of my family members does me wrong, if there's not some type of forgiveness or reconciliation, how many of y'all know the family re reunion is going to be really awkward? Blood's thicker than water. So in other words, you are more prone to walk through forgiveness and restoration with someone who is blood related as opposed to someone who is not blood related. Is that a fair assumption this morning? I'll do things for my family, come on somebody, that I might, I might not do for strangers. But God says, biblically, this is our problem. Basically what we're doing is, is viewing marriage outside of a blood covenant. Now, I'm not going there this morning. I'm not going to get that graphic, okay? But adults, y'all can fill in the blank this morning of how a husband and wife enters into a blood covenant. See, what we must do is we have to redefine the relationship as a blood covenant. Covenant actually means to cut. Some cultures, even today, they call themselves what? Blood brothers, they do this crazy thing where, and then they, okay, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's where the word comes from. Covenant actually means to cut. And you enter into a blood relationship. By the way, this is how God sees you. 
He's faithful to you no matter what. Because God is in a, the Bible says he will never leave us, he will never forsake us because God has entered into a blood covenant with his children. Jesus' blood was shed, the blood of Jesus was applied to you. Now no longer is it I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so now therefore God is in a blood covenant with his children. And that's why a lot of people have a, a distorted view of their heavenly father God. I'm gonna tell you something. When, you know when my kids need me the most? When they mess up. If everything's good, everything's going great, guess what? They could care less about dad. They're just, they're living their own life. It's like they have their little own world. But the moment they get in trouble, and the moment they, they get in a situation, you need me right now more than, and that's how it is with God. Listen, he is in a, it's not like when you mess up that he's just saying on with you kick you to the curb. No, he's in a blood covenant with you. So when therefore you mess up, he's saying, you need me right now more than you've ever need me. My grace is sufficient for you. His grace and his mercies follow. They, they are anew every day. Meaning, that's why I said at the beginning what I said at the beginning. Listen, I don't care what you've done this week. I don't care where you were last night. I don't care what decisions you've made this week that the enemy is trying to exploit in your mind this morning and telling you that you're not worthy of any of that God has given you. You know what? That is a partial truth. We are not worthy of anything that God has done for us, but therefore because of his grace, because of his love, because of his mercy, can I tell you the Bible says when my... When my Jesus gave his life on the cross for me, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to bottom. Now I can boldly enter into the presence of God. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And so listen to me. It's all about having the right view of covenant. Here's a look at the world's way versus God's way. This is the meat of the sermon today, and I've got six and a half minutes to do this. Covenant is based on mutual commitment. Commitment means I am willing to be unhappy with a lot of things while we work it out. And see, listen to me. Because the world will tell you that it, you should be happy all the time. There's going to be moments in your marriage where you're not happy. Can I just be honest? There's going to be moments in your marriage when you're un unhappy, but you made a commitment, meaning you entered into a covenant with each other a covenant before God and a covenant before others that you are going to commit to each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. In other words, are you willing to die to exit that commitment? That's what you have to think about. Covenant is based on mutual commitment. A contract which is what the world thinks of marriage. Oh, it's just a contract. Contract is based on mutual distrust. While one is based on mutual commitment, the other one is based on mutual distrust, meaning most contracts don't have language in them about you being faithful. Most contracts are about what happens when you're not faithful. Contracts assume that you're not going to fulfill the requirements. And they protect me. It's all about me. If they mess up, I want to make sure my rear is protected. 
That's what contracts are about. Unfortunately, we see relationships this way. Most contracts are about what happens when you don't fulfill. Here's the thing. Covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility. That's what a covenant, covenant surrenders the rights. A covenant says, I lay my life down. That's what Jesus did. Jesus laid his life down. The shepherd laid his life down for the sheep. Thank God for the Bible readers in the house. See, I don't go into it wanting you to serve me. I go into it wanting to serve you. Contract protects rights and shirks responsibility. It assumes the other will mess up and will most likely, I need to protect myself when that happens. And so what it does is it, it puts responsibility on the other, and it, it does not assume any responsibility. That was, by the way, the MO of the enemy when he showed up in the garden and, and, and he tempted them and they, they fell away from God. They disobeyed God. And then, and then what, because of sin, because of sin that entered the, the, the world, what did Eve do? What did Adam, Adam said, well, that woman. Eve said, well, that serpent. A covenant never assumes, or a contract never assumes responsibility. It's always the other person's fault. Covenant has the, here's, here's the thing, the covenant has the interest of the other in mind. Listen, the greatest relationship in the world is when two servants are in love. Y'all missed that. The greatest relationship in the world is when two servants are in love. Meaning they are constantly trying to outserve one another. Oh, you did that for me today? Well, guess what I did for you? I see your candlelight dinner and I up you a doing the dishes. Yes, <laughs> the worst relationship in the world is when two masters. Yep. You want me to go back to the curse? No, we ain't got time to do all that today. See, marriage is not a competition to see who can get their way. It's a competition to see who can sacrifice the most. Contract has personal convenience in mind, meaning it's selfish thinking. What I want. Well, pastor, I can't get my way when I'm in or when fill in the blank. That has selfish and that has pride at the very heart behind it. Because covenant surrenders those rights and covenant lays their life down. Covenant serves the other. It assumes responsibility. And so many times we enter into relationships through the world's way and through the world's thinking versus God's way. And we wonder why over 50% of marriages are winding up in divorce today. It's because we, didn't, we, we are not letting the one who defined them or design them, define them. I knew I would get it right eventually. Because there is a creator God who established family. He, listen to me, he ordained family. He ordained marriage. He ordained the husband and wife before he even ordained the church. 
from the very beginning of time. Why would not, why wouldn't the enemy attack the marriage? Why wouldn't the enemy come after the family? See, a lot of times the enemy knows that if he, he can't come against the whole entire church or the whole entire congregation at one time, but if he can just attack the marriage, if he can just attack the individuals, if he can just drive a wedge between you and your wife, and a lot of times he'll use what you think is good to do so, oh, you deserve it. He will paint you a pretty picture. You can go ahead and begin to play. He'll paint you a pretty picture of what you deserve and what, you, what it should look like. Well, if you were married to this person, I bet you'd be getting what you want. He makes it about you. Just two final thoughts. I'm closing with these. These two keys right here is what fuels all covenant principles, all the things that I just preached on. These two things right here is what fuels all of that. Number one, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. There's gonna be days where you probably don't feel like you're in love. I, I gotta stick to my notes on this because I might get myself in trouble, come on. If I followed, not from my wife, I'm just saying from, every, from all the, anymore, anyway. If I followed my feelings, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I'm not talking about it in my marriage, I'm talking about it in my ministry. Can I just be real with y'all? I don't feel like being your pastor all the time. <gasps> How dare he? There's moments where I don't feel like doing this. There's moments where I actually feel like I can't get up and stand behind this pulpit and preach this, this message. And if I gave in to my feelings, I wouldn't be standing up here today. Choices lead, feelings follow. Meaning I make a choice. I know God's called me. And to walk away from this pulpit and to walk away from this ministry to be, would be to walk away from God in my case. And I'm not willing to do that. So I make a choice every single day to get up. And it's an unpopular gospel. It's an unpopular pre preaching, but pick up my cross and follow Jesus daily. Sometimes I don't feel like it, but I make a choice to do it. And because I, make, because I allow my choices to lead, my feelings follow. Meaning that although I didn't feel like it to begin with, I made the choice and my feelings follow. And therefore I'm glad I made the decision because praise God at what happened. And many of you are under the sound of my voice, you say, I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. I don't feel like I want to be married to this person anymore. If you allow your feelings to lead, then guess what? You'll wind up a whole lot further down the road than what you thought you would ever go. You'll, you'll start throwing around all kind of talk about divorce and unfaithfulness. See, I deserve to be, listen to me. Love doesn't always give the person what they want or even what they deserve, but it gives them what they need. Love doesn't always give you what you want. I just thought of another song in my mind, but I'm not gonna sing it because I can't sing. 
Love doesn't always give you what you want. And it doesn't even give you what you deserve. Well, I deserve. What's at the very center of that? Pride. See, if every single one of us in this house got what we deserve today, we would all be six feet underground. Because love doesn't give you what you deserve. It gives you what you need. We deserve to be dead because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And, and I don't know, the last time I read my Bible, the Bible says that all were born into sin. But Jesus gave his life. Did we deserve that? No, we did not deserve that. But we needed that. I'll take it a step further. Choices lead, feelings follow. Jesus, godly, fully God, fully human, prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. You think Jesus really felt like that he submitted himself. He submitted himself to the Father. Because a godly marriage is all about, and I, I'm, I'm probably going to preach on, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I got so many things I want to talk about, but I'm probably going to preach on that word submission next week because we look at it like, like it's a bad thing. See, I deserve to be dead because of my sinful choices that I've made, but God so loved. The Bible says this, but above all, these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, meaning it binds everything together. If there's one thing that binds everything, it's, it's love. And it, it doesn't say, I love the way it words that. It says, put on. Put it on. In other words, you probably won't feel like it, but you have to choose to. It's a choice. Put it on. Put on love. Well, Pastor, put it on. Look at your neighbor and say, put it on. This is what makes everything else possible. Last but not least, I told you two keys to fueling covenant relationships. Number one, love's not a feeling. It's a choice. Number two, the capacity to love comes from receiving love. Pastor, what are you talking about? 1 John 4, 19. For we love him because he first loved us. The capacity to love comes first from being able to receive love. I told Wednesday night this, and I'm going to tell you this, the capacity to forgive comes first from understanding that how much we have been forgiven. And maybe you're in a situation, maybe you're in a relationship this morning that you need to put on love, or maybe you need to extend forgiveness. In order for you to extend love and in order for you to forgive, you must first understand what it means to be loved and to be forgiven. I can't help but to think about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross when I read this verse. Meaning, what are you talking about? He put on love when he went to the cross. I know I'm taking a long time with this closing, but it's my message, I'll preach it like I want to. Come on, somebody. While they were spitting on him, he was loving them. While they were nailing his hands in the cross, he was loving them. While they were cursing at him, he was loving them. Wow. 
think about it. See, I don't know your situation today. I don't know what type of relationship you're in, but I know Jesus. He put on love for all of us. Last but not least, this is the last verse that I'm closing with, and then I'm gonna ask you to stand. This is, this is my prayer. You wanna know my prayer? As a pastor for you today, this is it. Ephesians 3, 17 through 18. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to understand, to comprehend, to know, to experience, in other words, with all the saints, what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height of his love. Listen, there's nothing deeper, there's nothing wider, there's nothing higher. You want a deep message this morning? Pastor, that message wasn't deep enough for me. It's the deepest message that you could ever hear because there's nothing deeper than the love of God. The unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ that doesn't make any sense, but it's the love, it's the same sacrificial love that he's calling you and I to in our relationships with our spouse. Will you stand? God, I thank you for this message today. And I pray, God, that you would take it and do with it that that only you can, Father, right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, have your way in this house, God. God, I've done all I know how to do, Father. I've obeyed the word that you have placed on my heart today. And I pray, God, that you would begin to draw hearts, draw people to you, Father. Lord, that we may receive Christ in our hearts with faith that we may be able to comprehend, to know God, to experience the profoundness of your love in this house this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, one of three things is about to happen. Number one, we're gonna give you an opportunity to respond to this message this morning. We have altar calls here at Ford. And if you need prayer this morning, listen, we're not here to judge you. We're not here to throw stones at you. The Bible says, he without sin cast the first stone. We're all in need of a savior. We're all in need of the blood of Jesus being applied. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with our most recent episodes. To find out more, visit us at forwardchurchonline.com. There you can connect with us, learn more about our ministries, and submit any prayer requests you may have. We hope you join us again soon.